welcome to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Inside the IC. This week, we're going to talk about the intelligence community's biggest science and technology priorities. Just last month, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a public version of its new S&T landscape. That document lays out some of the IC's biggest tech needs in areas like artificial intelligence, biotechnology, and cybersecurity. It's a pretty broad range of technologies, and now intelligence agencies are looking for feedback from industry, academia, and others. To break it all down, I spoke with John Beeler, Director of Science and Technology at ODNI. John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no, of course, Justin, I appreciate it. I deeply appreciate the opportunity to be here and chat with you today. And, you know, I'm excited to talk about ODNI's science and technology priorities and the new investment landscape that it just released. But I'd first like to just start by having you provide an overview of, of your role at ODNI. What, what are you doing on a daily basis? What are some of your big priorities? So to kind of start, as we talk about this strategic competition that you've probably heard about, if you've been around DC in the last couple of years, uh, we see science and technology is really critical to that. And advancing our position over our adversaries and making sure that the U.S. maintains strategic advantage. So within ODNI and within the intelligence community, our role within the science and technology group is to make sure that we elevate the research and development needs and requirements of the IC to maintain and grow that strategic advantage over its adversaries. So at heart, it's really making sure that the folks around the IC elements that are doing the great R&D work to drive that advantage have the resources that they need to get after things. As part of that, you know, making sure that we lead the community's efforts in science and technology and setting the strategic direction for the ICSNT enterprise as a whole to make sure that we're going after the right problems across a wide range of domains, whether that's something like cyber or quantum or AI, so on and so forth. And so we really want to make sure that any S&T developments that we get after are aligned with the IC's most sought after collection and analysis requirements. And you lead something called ODNI's Science and Technology Group, right? Is what, what is that? So my role as the director of S&T is to kind of provide that function for the IC. So the Science and Technology Group is actually my office that manages all of those activities. So at core, it is managing that S&T portfolio, right? So all the R&D and S&T investments, uh, if you're familiar with technology readiness levels or TRL scale, we basically address anything that's TRL six or seven-ish or below, right? So that's basic research, applied research, and prototype development, but not kind of the large systems that are actually out in the field, so to speak. But also, the since it is broadly science and technology, my group covers down on a few other things. We're responsible for the STEM, the health of the STEM workforce within the IC in conjunction with our human capital colleagues. So we have a division that focuses on academic outreach, uh, workforce development, and things like that. The community's AI and machine learning efforts also roll up under the science and technology group. So the, the AIM initiative, if folks have heard of that, resides within my office. And then we have a, a fair number of kind of one-off activities for specific technology areas that are of specific importance uh, at any given time. And those kind of stand up and roll down depending on what the current uh, landscape looks like. So we, we cover the waterfront, basically anything related to S&T or workforce or so on and so forth. It falls under that science and technology group. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty broad mandate. And, and you know, one of the things you guys just released was the fiscal year 2022 to 2026 S&T investment landscape. And, you know, it seems to provide an overview 
of the different science and technology needs that the intelligence community kind of has and projects to to uh, require in the coming years. I, I would love if you could just kind of explain what this document is all about why, and, and why you're putting it out there and, and what you're hoping to get back from people in terms of feedback. So in a lot of ways, the IC has some of the hardest problems in the world. Um, you know, often what we're looking at is in many ways, literally physically different than other people, right? It's almost definitionally that the problems that we care about, other people don't. Uh, so what we're trying to figure out is how we can harvest the widest set of capabilities and adapt them to the IC needs. So we have a whole process by which we go about figuring out what those needs look like. You know, we go talk to our mission partner colleagues, you know, the collection analysis folks to see what their gaps and seams look like. That's often kind of very general and, you know, again, very focused on the mission need. So then we do some work to translate that into an S&T need, so more of the kind of geek speak that we can actually provide to the S&T folks doing the development. And that's what generates the basis of this S&T landscape document that we've issued. We obviously start that out at the classified level, but we've also, as you note, have walked that down to the unclassified level so we can release that out to industry. Because again, it's really to try to communicate out those needs to the broader U.S. government, private sector, and academic research community so that everyone can have a common understanding of the IC's most pressing challenges and the capabilities that we're seeking the most. Because there's a lot of great work that's happening outside the kind of walled garden of the IC. And we want to make sure that, one, people understand what we're looking for. And two, we can get back from other people, uh, again, industry, academia, so on and so forth, what they might be working on. Even if it isn't a direct lift and shift from their application to ours, we can at least have widespread knowledge of what that capability development on the outside looks like. And then the other thing that I'll say is having been on the outside, on kind of the contractor side before I entered government, you don't get a ton of demand signal from the government generally and from the IC in particular, right? By our nature, we are, of course, a fairly secretive set of organizations. So we also see this as part of the role of the ODNI to communicate and be kind of the public face of many of the needs of the IC. So that way we're reaching out to these folks and saying, hey, here's some of the things that we're interested in. I understand that some of these needs on the unclass side are, are pretty high level and nebulous, <laughs> but our stance is that we think it's better than nothing, especially when we tend to not communicate out that much. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to see even this level of detail uh, from, from an IC-wide document. And, and, you know, the science and technology needs, the technology domains, uh, as the, the document puts it, I don't think are particularly surprising, you know, and they're, they're pretty wide ranging. Artificial intelligence, of course, you know, biological sciences, communications, computing, and cyber data, you know, a lot, a lot of pretty key technologies. That's just a, a small set of that list. But are there any themes that you would want to identify in this document that people should be paying particularly close attention to as they're looking at this and, and coming up with ways that maybe they can respond or try to help you guys with what you're trying to get after here? So I always joke that, again, some of the unclassed needs are pretty nebulous and, you know, that it's, uh, you know, the IC wants to infer leadership intentions, right? And so the things that <laughs> the intelligence community has done since the 50s or 60s, some of these are just perennial issues that we've always had to do. But to your point about the tech domains, it's a similar issue, right? Before I was in this uh, role, a similar document was issued in about the 2014-2015 timeframe. And you see a lot of the same 
broad tech domains, bio, AI, advanced materials, so on and so forth. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is whenever you ask these questions repeatedly over time, what it lets you see is the shift in what people provide <laughs> in response, right? So yes, even though the base question might be the same, like, hey, we need to triage a bunch of text data or something like that. The solutions that people bring forward in 2022 are drastically different than what we saw in 2014, right? So even though the underlying problem remains the same, and it's again, this perennial issue that we have as an intelligence community, the tech has advanced in such a way that we get new novel solutions. So it's that continuously trying to be on the bleeding edge and to my opening comments about providing strategic advantage, right? It's about getting on that bleeding edge and making sure we are ahead of our adversaries and doing things faster, more accurately, cheaper, more efficiently, so on and so forth uh, than we've done before. So in terms of themes, that's one, just continuously advancing the state of the art. And two is some portion of this is also horizon scanning for us, right? What are we, what needs to be on our radar that isn't right now? Using bio as one particular area. If you look back 10, 15 years ago, synthetic biology wasn't that large of a portion of the conversation around bio needs, right? Um, if you look around things like the, the anthrax attacks and things like that, it was more focused on those sorts of threats. And now as the conversation has progressed, you see things like synthetic biology pop up. So again, it's, it's this evolution of technical fields and making sure that we understand what's coming down from an R&D standpoint, both for our own capability development, as well as to communicate to that to our colleagues on the collection analysis side to say, hey, here's something that you might want to think about. It's not really something we need to be concerned about today, but over the next two, three, five years, this might be something we we start seeing. And, you know, this might be getting a little wonky, but that's the kind of show we are. So, you know, the, the, the document describes different categories of needs, some best served by one program manager, others that require collaboration across multiple program managers, and then others that require collaboration across perhaps government agencies with other government agencies like DARPA and the National Science Foundation. Why is it important to categorize things in this way? What are you you guys, what problem are you trying to address there? Yeah, and uh, kind of diving into the wonky bit, um, you know, for us, program is what we call big P program, right? So uh, in our kind of portfolio management approach, the agencies are programs, right? So I just want to make sure that people are clear on that, that we're not referring to kind of technical program, the program is the agencies. Um, so when we're talking about kind of single program, we're talking about single ag- agency, perhaps single int, right? So single intelligence discipline, like SIGINT or HUMIT issues. And so whenever we go at that scale, it might be to your point, two programs, right? So maybe a SIGINT and a HUMIT prob- problem or a SIGINT and a GEOINT problem. And then the next level is these kind of like fundamental issues that we have and fundamental science problems. And the reason we break that out is for our purposes, and this is something I should have said in the previous section about trends and themes and things that have advanced over time, which is we've also married this up to our own budget data to look at where the gaps and seams are. So part of what we do when these responses come in is see where we think we might be weak in particular areas and make sure that we shore that up in terms of new capabilities. So to that, when we are sitting at the ODNI level looking across the IC, what we want to focus on is those cross-cutting issues that touch everyone in the intelligence community, right? And those are the things that we want, maybe an IARPA program or to work with DARPA, or even to your point, one thing that we've been driving a lot towards is better integration with the kind of non-defense, non-national security elements like the National Science Foundation to say, hey, there's a lot of great basic R&D that goes on in the US. Uh, you know, NSF has something like an eight or $9 billion a year budget to do research. 
and rather than kind of reinventing the wheel on those science and technology issues that they address, figure out how we can partner with them and harness some of the work that they're doing and direct it a little bit to the hard uh, national security problems that we have. That's why we kind of separate things out that way is to say, hey, for a kind of single program problem, CIA, NSA, NGA, that's probably yours to solve within your own budget issue. You know, cross-cutting, we might address some of those from an ODNI point to say, hey, agency X and agency Y, you two need to work together on something like this. But for our purposes, we really focus on those cross-cutting issues. And that's where we think we get the most goodness over a long time horizon because we're solving problems that will address the issues of many agencies, many folks working in the community. And I got to imagine that requires a lot of coordination on your part. That's where your office really steps in. And I, I imagine that the intelligence agency science and technology functions each have their their own sort of, you know, lengthy culture histories and cultures. And but are they good at collaboration? Is it something that needs to improve? Is are they good at looking outside of even the intelligence community and and to to, you know, other agencies like the NSF and perhaps even where innovation is happening in industry? Or is that also a, a big focus area for you to improve in the coming years? Yeah. So uh, I always joke that our job is to do the ODNI thing, right? And why ODNI was stood up after 9-11 was to provide that integration uh, amongst the IC elements. And we just do that for science and technology. So we have a few mechanisms by which we do that. And I'll lead off on all this to say, I have the great pleasure in my job of talking to the excellent people doing the work at the IC elements every day. Um, And I am continually blown away by the level at which they work. Um, And I have said repeatedly that I would put any IC researcher up against the best out in industry. Um, So we've got an extreme amount of talent uh, resident within the IC. So we see our job again as really enabling those folks. And to your question, making sure that the kind of peanut butter spread of goodness goes across the whole community and things don't stay siloed. You know, if there's a project happening at one agency, we want to make sure that another agency that can benefit from that knows about it. And, you know, those are, those are hard discovery problems in a lot of ways. So we do that through a few mechanisms. One is this RFI um, and the kind of classified needs that we have so that we can organize some of our budget data around that. Uh, I also chair a committee called the National Intelligence Science and Technology Committee, uh, which is defined in law and made up of the principles of the ICRD elements. So this is places like the research director within the National Security Agency or the research director within NGA, CIA, ST, so on and so forth. And that the whole point of that committee is to let the S&T principles from around the IC come together and have these conversations and do that coordination, collaboration, and integration. But again, is really the ODNI's job to enable that. But then the flip side of that is uh, making sure that we, again, have the strategic view and are looking down the road to what's coming. So, you know, the IC elements are, again, really great at their job, <laughs> right? But as everyone that's ever worked problems like this probably knows, when you're working your kind of tactical mission, you are kind of head down getting after that. And it's hard to pull your eyes up and look across the horizon. So again, that's another role that we see for ODNI is making sure that we, since we are not constrained by kind of an operational mission, we have that uh, freedom to kind of look across the horizon and help alert the IC elements of things we might need to care about in the coming years. So making sure that we kind of blend that of ensuring that the elements have what they need to address their day-to-day mission 
and injecting that longer term thinking to make sure we're not stuck in something uh, when we need to be continuously advancing to maintain that strategic advantage. That's John Beeler, Director of Science and Technology at ODNI. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. And welcome back to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. We're speaking with John Beeler, Director of Science and Technology at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. What do you see as some of the bigger challenges across this portfolio that you've laid out in this landscape document? The challenges are myriad, right? And so there's a, there's a lot of converging themes around the world that, that we have to be concerned about a little bit. So one of them is the rapidity with which new advances come out, right? So you look at things like AI or bio, and again, using the synthetic biology example, what used to take a huge wet lab, you know, and many years of dedicated research to come up with a new advance, that that iteration cycle has been cut down significantly. So things that might might have taken a year or two in the past are now taking three or six months. So that just induces a lot of trouble for us in the federal space where you know we work on annual budget cycles, we work on five-year budget cycles, and it's hard to keep up with those three or six-month iterations. So that's a challenge. It's a challenge for industry, it's a challenge for academia, but it's especially acute for us. So that's another aspect of this RFI is helping us provide that mechanism to keep up with that. And then kind of to the point of the, those quick iteration cycles uh, is the democratization of tech, right? So again, using the SynBio example, what used to take a large wet lab that might be an entire floor in a building, you can now do in desktop size applications, right? Or you look at machine learning, anyone can spin up a huge cloud compute cluster and do tons of experiments on machine learning in the cloud rapidly. Uh, you don't have to kind of have your own server farm running to do that kind of thing. So again, uh, it, or look at commercial space or any of the other things uh, where it's, a lot of this tech is democratizing, right? So what used to be the purview of large nation, nation states is now being pushed out. And that just provides an additional challenge for us to track. It's fantastic, right? Because the more the more folks we have working on this and the more advances we get in these spaces, the better, um, especially on the US side. So we can keep pushing that innovation forward. But again, it presents a challenge to track a lot of these things. And then the final theme and challenge that we kind of have with a lot of the stuff that ties a lot of the previous things I've mentioned together is the convergence between fields, right? So I'm using AI and bio a lot because that tends to be forefront on folks' minds recently. But you know, using a machine learning algorithm to reduce the search space for the synthetic protein that you're going to generate so that you're not having to run. 2,000 or 5,000 experiments, you're having to run maybe five, right? So again, that convergence of fields exponentially accelerates things, or you know, you look at bio and materials, right? So rather than uh, manufacturing something, you might grow something. And so again, that exacerbates all the previous points of democratizing things, expanding the footprint, so on and so forth. So those, those are the kind of three things that rattle around in my brain you know, the democratization, the speed and the convergence of fields, again, provides a lot of goodness for us, but it is part of the ever expanding complicated landscape. Yeah. And I guess another way of putting that is there's a lot of disruptive technologies out there these days. Do you have any strategies that you're pushing down from your perch in terms of addressing those issues that you mentioned of, you know, faster tech cycles, the democratization of 
technologies and the like? Yeah. So we, we have some things cooking on the inside and can't get into a ton of detail here, but, you know, again, to make our, make our system a bit more flexible so that we can harness those things and close to the real time. I think, you know, if folks track on the DOD side, you've seen this theme for years through uh, activities like AFWorks or DefenseWorks or things like that, where the large kind of bureaucratic elements are trying to move more nimbly. So we, we have similar thoughts in mind for how we don't have to necessarily stay married up to this annual budget cycle or five-year budget cycle when innovation moves much more quickly than that. But again, the kind of topic of conversation today, this in-step RFI that we have out the landscape, you know, that is an always on capability for us. So we, we want to make sure that that RFI stays open so that we can continuously get capabilities in from folks. And one thing that I will call out, which is different from the past, we used to kind of fire and forget this RFI last time we did it got lots of capabilities in and we'd have lots of great meetings with folks. But now what we're expanding on is making sure that there are resources behind that effort. So that isn't just kind of a meeting with industry um, and everyone gets the warm fuzzies about the meeting, but nothing kind of comes out of it. So we're making sure that there are resources to put behind some of these conversations. And if there's tech that is a good match between the industry partner and the IC partner, that there again are resources to go behind that. Um, So that is another advance where we're trying to make sure that we can tap into these things more quickly and not say, yep, that was a great meeting. Please wait a year and a half while I can get something into the next budget cycle that I can affect. So I'm not sure how much detail you can get into, but you're kind of saying that there's some funding perhaps if a, if a company or, or, or a research organization or someone comes in in response to this RFI. At any point in the future, there's not a deadline and, and there might be funding that you guys can can match to get this whatever the idea is rolling with, with whatever the component agency might be. Yeah. And so again, still early days, still very nascent, but the overall theme is we want to make sure these interactions are valuable and we want to make sure that we can actually bring these capabilities in and not just have broad awareness of that. So exactly what that look will look like, we don't exactly know yet, but we, we've heard that message and we want to make sure that that is something that we are postured to get after when the opportunities occur. So again, want to make sure it's meaningful, want to make sure that's either through resources or some other agreements that we can make. There are things like CRADA's cooperative research and development agreements that don't require money per se, but we enter into those relationships to do cooperative research and development. So again, want to make sure that there's some mechanism to do something in this space, whether that's funding or something else is still TBD, but we want to make sure that there is a path for this. In this RFI, it will remain open. There won't be a deadline for submissions or anything like that. Yeah, so the RFI currently has, uh, I believe, a closed date on it, um, and we're working to modify that to where we will review submissions on a rolling basis. So, you know, we don't want people to kind of be left hanging um, and submit something and kind of throw it into the void. Uh, so, you know, on, again, on a rolling window, we'll review what is submitted. But yes, we want to make sure it stays open. It isn't just a once a year thing where, you know, you have two or three months to submit, because especially since we're trying to uh, target non-traditional partners in this. There might be some small company in you know Kansas or somewhere that wasn't aware of this RFI when it was open, but then they come to a meeting or hear a podcast like this and they're like, oh, that's great. I want to submit to that. And we, what we don't want to happen is them to go and find that and see that it's closed and feel like they've lost their opportunity to interact with us. So we want to make sure that people have that opportunity over time for that reason. Or again, since things are moving so quickly, if... <laughs> 
if someone submits something and then six months or a year later, they have some fundamental breakthrough that has drastically changed the landscape of technology that they're looking at, we want them to be able to tell us about that too and not just have to wait for the next time that this RFI opens. So yeah, rolling windows, kind of more continuous interaction and feedback is the goal. And again, that's John Beeler, Director of Science and Technology at ODNI. We talked about how he's trying to survey the landscape of emerging and disruptive technologies in the coming years to ensure intelligence agencies stay on the cutting edge. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.